Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. My guest today, uh, she's also a podcast host, among many other things, uh, Pamela Wilson. She's a caregiving expert, an author, a radio host, and a keynote speaker. She's a national caregiving expert, an advocate, and again, a speaker or consultant. She has 20 years experience as a court-appointed guardian, a power of attorney, and care manager. So good to have her on the podcast today. Pam, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, Richard. I appreciate it. Yeah, tell me, what... Um, I don't know, you seem to focus on an area that I guess people would reluctantly at best want to do is be a caregiver for someone. But uh, what's your background? How did you get into this this area? You know, a lot of life experience. So when I was 17, I was interested in geriatrics and I had a social work scholarship that I didn't take. My oldest sister died in a car accident when I was 17. My parents passed away when I was in my 30s. My oldest brother passed away six months after my father. And that really pulled me back into the caregiving arena. I was, I was working in corporate America doing marketing and not feeling really rewarded. So I changed gears, left corporate and started to help caregivers because I felt that I had the experience to know what people went through. I also went back and got a lot of other education. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of tragedy. I'm sorry all that stuff happened to you, but it sounds like you were there for uh, your family you know, multiple times. So that's good. I was, and it was really a blessing in disguise. I mean, yes, it was sad, but it really opened up a whole new world for me of helping helping other people. What do you do right now? Again, you run a podcast. What other activities are you engaged in at this current moment? So I do a podcast, and I do a lot of work with caregivers throughout the world, and that really comes from the podcast. And so I have a support group on Facebook, which is called The Caregiving Trap. A lot of caregivers will chat within there and post problems and I solve answers. There's also a caregiver survey on my website under the contact tab where people can email me. And I actually do videos every day, either on Facebook or YouTube. And so I will respond to these caregivers that way. Professionally, though, I work with companies and groups who have an interest in increasing caregiver education and awareness. So I will go speak. I will create video programs that they can put on their intranet for caregiver training, and then I have an online course. So what are some of the common either misconceptions or questions that caregivers have when they first start out? Well, a lot of it is half of them don't even realize they're a caregiver, and that's where the caregiving awareness comes in. Corporations will say, well, we have employees that we know are caregivers, but they're hesitant to tell us because they think that, you know, there may be some discrimination in the workplace. So it's identifying caregivers. A lot of people will say, oh, I'm just, you know, I help my mom and dad every now and then, or I help grandma or grandpa every now and then. They don't realize that they're a caregiver until something happens within the healthcare system that a doctor or another person says, oh, your mom's caregiver, your grandma's caregiver. And then they're like, oh, I guess I'm a caregiver. (laughs) So the awareness is the first hurdle that caregivers have to get over. And then it's, I have no idea what I'm doing. Is there a special designation when you're, you know, called a caregiver or is it just a, I mean, is it a legal term? Is it just, that's what you are and it surprises people? Like, why is that an important thing? You know, it's not a legal term and it's an important thing because 
a lot of people who are helping parents and grandparents don't realize that help exists. Even a lot of caregivers don't realize that help exists because as a society, we push this responsibility back to the families. We don't really talk about it. And we don't talk positively about aging and getting old and needing health care. So it's kind of the subject that, like you mentioned before, we don't want to talk about. A lot of people will say to me, how can you do this? Why do you even do this? Is this pleasant for you? And my response is, I love it because I love being able to educate caregivers on what to do in situations. So, for example, this morning, I had a lady from California contact me and she said, you know, I live 100 miles away from my dad. My brother is somewhere else. We know my dad needs help. He's refusing. We think he has dementia. What on earth do we do? So I actually did a video for her on Facebook today and gave her some responses. So it's just the fact that caregivers have no idea that they're a caregiver until somebody says it from the healthcare system. And then they have no idea what to do about all these situations or that resources are available until they start searching. And sometimes they find a good resource. Sometimes they come across something that's not as helpful. What are some of the basics that caregivers need to figure out? I mean, is this happening, I guess, where they're visiting the person's home or they're visiting them in a nursing home? Like, like where does the caregiving tend to happen and how often it went? Well, it tends to happen. It'll start with elderly parents at home or for a spouse, a healthy spouse caring for a sick spouse. So it usually starts in the home and usually with simple things. So things like picking up a prescription or doing some grocery shopping and making a meal because somebody's not feeling well. Maybe they go to a doctor appointment and that's where they kind of get swept into the healthcare system. And, and that's where the problems start because a lot of older people see the healthcare system and providers as God. You know, a doctor tells them something and an older person's like, oh, I, I have to do that. I must do that. Where asking questions really gives a better response because older people will stop taking medications because, well, the doctor told me to take it, but I don't know why I'm taking it. And so then they're arguing with their children who are saying, well, mom, you're supposed to take that. The doctor told you. But nobody knows why. And nobody knows the long-term effects. So, for example, high blood pressure. It can eventually lead to dementia. It can lead to strokes. It can lead to a lot of serious conditions. But if the doctor never says, well, here's why I want you to take this medication and here's why it's important, the older adult doesn't know, the caregivers don't know, they're thinking, ah, we don't need this, we feel okay. High blood pressure doesn't always show up, it's not feeling well. So there's a lot of complications that come into caregiving that adult children and spousal caregivers don't realize until things start to go bad. And then they're saying, well, why didn't anybody tell me? And then the question is, well, why didn't you ask? And they say, well, we didn't know to ask. That's kind of the spiral of where caregiving goes off track. Well, what kind of things go off track? Like, again, you said they don't know why people are taking medications, and then you talked about you know, adverse effects to them. But so you're home with the person you're giving care to and all of a sudden they're having a very strong adverse reaction and you don't know what to do or like what are some of the events that are really important for caregivers they need to be aware of that so another example from yesterday i had a caregiver who said ah oh, my mom fell today i thought something was wrong yesterday i probably should have taken her to urgent care and i didn't what should i be looking for so anytime that caregivers notice and those of us in healthcare we call it a change in condition so maybe mom or dad are more tired or they're not eating today or they don't feel like getting out of bed. The things that you want to look for are, you know, if you have a thermometer, take their temperature. Some 
Patients will have blood pressure machines at home. You can take that. But really, any significant change in condition for an older person, get them in doctor appointment, take them to urgent care. If you have to, take them to the emergency room. These days with COVID, that's a little complicated. But the biggest thing with older people is not to wait because their conditions change so quickly that they can become septic. A lot of things can happen and they can become more ill and and then have to go to the hospital and then have to go to a nursing home for rehab instead of being able to catch it early because you noticed something. So really being attentive to the little things for caregivers is extremely important. Are there certain conditions that just really require a level of caregiving that most people can't sustain? Or when they, you know, when people are far enough along in certain conditions, do they just really like you know, when they, how do they know when they get to that point where they just can't do it anymore? Well, for caregivers, they always wait too long. So caregivers want to be helpful, and they rarely ask for help. And so for the caregiver, the point where they can't do it anymore is where they are emotionally distraught every day. They feel trapped. They feel lonely. And from a physical perspective, let's say that a parent is in a wheelchair and they're still at home and that caregiver is having to lift a parent and do a lot of physical tasks that really could harm the caregiver. You know, if they help a parent up, the parent falls over, they fall over, they get hurt, and the elderly parent gets hurt. A lot of caregivers, though, don't think about that. They self-sacrifice. And so they'll do it and do it and do it until mom or dad have a serious fall that then pushes them into a nursing home. And that's where if caregivers were talking to parents earlier about a plan to say, mom or dad, when this happens, we may need to look at a care community because I may not physically be able to do it. I may not mentally be able to do it. Having those conversations early then prevent that emergency situation where the caregiver says, oh, I can't do this anymore. We have to make a change. And then everybody's surprised. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. What is the typical advice you find yourself giving to the caregivers? It sounds like it ranges all over the place, but I mean, in general, is it a good idea for people to be caregivers so long as they're aware of what could happen and what's expected of them? Or is it really like, you know, they have to know their limits? I mean, what's, what's like an overall statement to people that are engaging in this? So for caregivers, it's a lot of things. It's have the conversation early with your parents, if you can, even before their health advances. So when mom and dad are relatively healthy, and maybe you're helping out with a couple of things, maybe you do some grocery shopping, maybe you pick up prescriptions, maybe you go to the doctor appointment, have conversations then about what happens when you get worse, what do you want, and here's what I can do. And the other thing for caregivers is that to recognize that help exists, find a support group, either in person or online. Be very proactive about asking doctors and the healthcare system for help. And the goal is to be preventative. A lot of the things that happen with aging, we can prevent those. But again, the United States is not a healthcare system that talks a lot about prevention. Doctors are happy to treat you after you have the heart attack. They don't really tell you how to avoid the heart attack. And that's where the caregiver comes in. They have to be an advocate for their elderly parent and to learn how to advocate for their own health. Because what they see with their elderly parents could be their future. And that's what we don't talk about. And that's what we should be talking about. What about pairing a will, DNR orders, or, you know, like when you're, if you're incapacitated, what, you know, the person caring for you should do, et cetera. Extremely important. I'm glad you brought that up. So again, the early conversations with elderly parents about, gosh, what do you want when 
This happens or when you get sick. There should always be discussions about medical and financial power of attorney and then the living will. So the medical is the person who helps with health care. The financial obviously pays the bills. The living will is what talks about if I become incapacitated, what do I want? Do I want to be taken care of by my son or my daughter? Do I want them to make all my decisions? And then on the other hand, if I'm in a serious accident, do I want a feeding tube? Do I want a ventilator like we hear a lot these days of COVID? What kind of serious care do I really want and for how long? Those discussions are extremely, extremely important. And for older people now, Medicare actually has an advanced planning benefit where you can go to your doctor and specifically talk about this. I think it allows an hour to ask questions to make sure that you understand what the consequences of the choices that you make are, because that also is very important. So those conversations should be had preferentially before you're in a situation where you have to make a life or death situation, because then it's difficult. And then there's a point where elderly parents who have dementia can't create a power of attorney anymore. It's too late because they don't have the capacity or the ability to understand. Then it has to go to the court system and it's guardianship and conservatorship. And if there's a guardianship or conservatorship, is that usually the caregiver or that could easily be passed over by someone court appointed? So it is, in some cases, if there is... A family member willing, it can be like a son or a daughter, can be both the guardian and the conservator. Sometimes, though, they are very uncomfortable doing that. And so that's where I was appointed as a professional. And in other circumstances, maybe the elderly don't have any children, so there's no one. But either family or a professional can be appointed. If a professional is appointed, it's usually two people, one as guardian and one as conservator. So there's a system of checks and balances. And then those people who are designated the guardian or conservator really have absolute authority. So it's, it's kind of a last resort when there wasn't a power of attorney document or, you know, a person has a power of attorney, but they're kind of saying, well, you know, I don't need anybody to help me. And then it has to go to the court system. What's the difference between a guardian and a conservator? What are their roles? So a guardian is the healthcare advocate. The guardian decides where a person lives. So that could be home or a care community or a nursing home. And they have decision-making power over all healthcare decisions, what medications are taken, if there are treatments, end-of-life care, everything. The conservator, on the other hand, is the property end. So bank accounts, retirement accounts, if the house has to be sold, the conservator does that. The conservator takes care of all the financials and the guardian and the conservator should work together to talk about how much money do we have for care? Because you don't want to spend it all and then have another person, have the person live for another five years. The goal is to provide the care the person needs with the idea that this money has to last for a long time and how can we be responsible to do that? What kind of decisions or situations would arise where they come into conflict, the caregiver and the guardian? Family caregivers and guardians, there can be a lot of disagreement. So when I was appointed, it was usually because family didn't get along. So maybe there are three brothers and sisters and one is saying, oh, I think mom or dad should stay home. Another one is saying, no, no, mom and dad need to go to a care community. The third one is saying, oh, no, let mom and dad move in with me and pay me. So it's when the children have different ideas and the guardian and the conservator have to say, This makes the most sense based on what we know from a medical perspective that your parent needs, based on what we know from a financial perspective of the money available, this right now is the best plan for the elderly parent. So that's where the disagreements come in between 
family caregivers who are the caregiver, and then when you have professional guardians and conservators involved. Is there um, an amount of time at which everyone seems to say, like, I've had enough of this, or can it go on for years and years and, you know, people kind of stick it through? Well, caregiving can go on forever. You know, I will have some caregivers who say, you know, I moved in with mom or dad a year ago. I thought it would be done. And 20 years later, I'm still here. And it's the same thing for conservator and guardianship appointments. Those appointments are for the life of that individual. Now, that's not to say that if something happens to the guardian or conservator, they can't appoint a successor. But Initially, these really are responsibilities for life until some situation changes that makes a different course of action necessary. What are some resources that you have for uh, caregivers where they have questions, they need help, etc.? So for me, they can go to my website, PamelaDWilson.com, click on the Contact Me button and fill out my caregiver survey. Those are all confidential. I receive the questions and I always respond in some manner, whether it's via email or I send them a video link. They can also join my caregiving support group. It's on Facebook. My group is called The Caregiving Trap. And then for working caregivers, a lot of corporations are starting to do caregiving programs, but many are not. You can talk to your corporation and ask them for caregiver support programs, direct your human resource person to my website. There's a lot of information there. Oh, so if you work for a certain companies, they'll have uh, caregiver resources? Yeah, so companies will hire me to create videos for their intranet so that employees can go on there and have like almost like an internal library of resources. And then employees... So companies can sponsor my caregiving course. It's called Taking Care of Elderly Parents Stay at Home. They can offer that online course to their employees, and then their employees have access to me through that course. There's a lot of ways that companies can develop programs to support their working caregivers. And if, uh, you know, someone's not working for a corporation that has any of that, what do they do? They turn to government resources or they turn to like your podcast or like where, where would they go? So for me, they can listen to the podcast. There is a library on my website. My blog is on there. Again, they can access questions. Also, I always suggest the local area agency on aging. So every state has an area agency on aging. Every county in the United States has a, an aging services division. So if they're looking for local resources like what's a good care agency, I don't know anything about hospice, contacting those government agencies that serve as information and referral are a great place to get started. Well, very good. And thanks for coming on the podcast. And it's, uh, you know, it's a very overlooked area, but I'm glad that you're focusing on it and helping people. So again, thank you. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate it. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.